Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Just a few months ago, it seemed like the U.S. was on a path to put COVID-19 behind us. We've gone from pain and stagnation of a long, dark winter to an economy on the move growing faster than it has in nearly 40 years. From anemic job creation in the months before I took office to the fastest job creation in the first three months of any administration in American history and rising wages, rising wages. But since then, the Delta variant has caused spikes in cases across the country. And that reality means the White House is now facing myriad challenges. The Biden administration has celebrated the chance for vaccinated people to remove their masks. They've championed the vaccine uptake rates, and they've touted the rapid economic recovery. But a record level of consumers are seeing the job market as improving. So, uh, the, in fact, the, the share of consumers that say that jobs are plentiful in the economy is now uh, at a 21-year high. Um, so, again, consistent with a, a strong recovering labor market here. Uh, we saw both the congressional... But now, the Delta variant is threatening to put each of those things in jeopardy. And the White House is debating how to respond to meet the challenges ahead. Will they change their approach to masking? What steps can they take to combat vaccine disinformation and get more of the country vaccinated? And is the economy at risk of another meltdown? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. It's been just over two months since the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said that vaccinated people don't need to wear masks in most settings. But now Biden administration officials are debating whether they should urge vaccinated Americans to wear masks in more settings. This comes as the country is seeing close to 40,000 new cases of coronavirus infections a day. I think what's happened is the uptick in cases driven by the hyper-transmissible Delta variant That has put some health officials on edge. That's Dan Diamond, a health reporter at The Washington Post. These spikes are still small. They're not where we were back in the winter, but they're big enough and fast enough that health officials say they want to get ahead of the next crisis, whether it's someone like Barbara Ferrer, the Los Angeles County Public Health Director, who told me that they're just seeing what could be coming down the pike and want to get in front of it, or public health experts that I've spoken to like Caitlin Rivers at Johns Hopkins, It's also not just the cases, it's the accompanying rise in hospitalizations. Hospitals in some states already are saying their ICUs are filling up, and they do not want to be in a situation, which we found ourselves in earlier in the pandemic, where people are not getting care promptly because hospitals are too hard hit. So to be clear, though, where does the CDC officially stand right now on reimposing mask mandates for vaccinated people or for public spaces? Given the recent rise in Delta and given that some local officials are moving ahead with recommending or requiring that mask mandates come back indoors, the CDC is taking note. 
My colleagues and I had spoken to officials inside and near the government early this week who said masking is one of the tactics that is back on the table. There are also questions about whether we should renew social distancing measures or take other steps to get in front of the Delta variant. Now, the White House is trying to be very sensitive to CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, for a couple of reasons. First, this is ultimately going to be a CDC decision. This is not supposed to be a political call. It's a public health ruling based on what the science says. And the CDC so far has publicly said they're not going to change the masking guidance from a few months ago. But an added wrinkle is that this White House is trying very much to go in a different direction than the last one. President Trump and his deputies repeatedly put pressure on the CDC, on scientific agencies last year to issue guidance, to change their recommendations. This White House has said repeatedly, we are going to follow the science, we will be hands off. But then, Allison, we get into a situation where maybe it does make sense for the White House to be strategizing with the CDC on this kind of issue, and it's that much harder to navigate what's in front of them. I know around the July 4th mark, the Biden administration had said that cases were down 93 percent since earlier in the year. And I want to know kind of where we stand now. This Delta variant has gotten a lot of attention, but it's it's hard to understand just how much it's increasing the case number in this country. I think experts are trying to understand, too, how much it's increasing because cases are definitely up. About three weeks ago, there were 12,000 cases or so on average every day. Now we're at around 37,000 cases per day. The true number is likely higher. Testing has gone down. People aren't going out to get tested at the same rates. Some of the testing centers have shut down. So the true number may well be higher than what is being reported. And there's one other factor, which is more than 150 million Americans are now fully vaccinated. They may well be getting Delta infections, but the vaccine is preventing symptoms from emerging. As a result, people may be walking around infected with the Delta variant, not know it, not go get tested. So you said this shouldn't be a political decision, and of course it should be a decision made in the interest of public health. But there are politics at play. That's the reality of it. So President Biden himself has stopped wearing a mask. Do you imagine that he will start wearing a mask again soon? It's a good question and one that we've put to the White House. As of Wednesday afternoon, we didn't have an answer from them. The idea that Biden would put a mask back on, it goes against everything that this White House has been trying to signal, that we are at a better point in this fight on the pandemic. There was criticism, in fact, that President Biden, other officials were wearing masks too much, that they were not sending the right message to Americans about the post-vaccine world that they could enter. I don't think it's likely that President Biden will go back to wearing the mask as consistently as he did in the earlier days of the pandemic. It is quite possible that he and other senior officials, if cases spike in the greater Washington, D.C. area, or he's heading to a place where cases are on the rise, we may well see him wearing a mask indoors again because that's in line with what health officials are recommending. Now, the Biden administration had said that he had hoped to reach a certain percentage of vaccinated adults by July 4th. I believe it was 70 percent. He has not hit that goal yet. So what do you think contributed to the miscalculation by the Biden administration about when we would hit certain vaccination levels? And, and are they calling it a miscalculation? When President Biden first set that goal for July 4th, it seemed really achievable. 
it was a goal that the U.S. seemed to be on track for. There were millions of people getting shots per day. This was in the spring. And to be fair, President Biden set a number of goals that the U.S. did hit. President Biden does not get in front of the cameras and set a target, like 70% of Americans getting at least one shot by July 4th, unless his people know that he is going to get there. They do not want to set him up for failure. It is a dramatic reversal from what we saw last year. The Trump administration constantly would set goals that were not achievable. Now, you, you could perhaps give them a round of applause for saying they're, they're you know, shooting for the stars and they end up at the moon and that's a success versus President Biden who says, well, maybe we'll make it to the moon. So when you actually get there, it feels like a big win. Either way, this was not seen as hard to hit. It, it was maybe publicly framed that way, but it looked on target. I think what's happened are a few different things that all conspired at once. First, it does seem that some of the fears around the Johnson & Johnson vaccine line up with the decline in vaccination rates. There are some cases of complications related to blood clots with the J&J single-dose vaccine back in the spring. Public health experts looked at it. The vaccine went on a pause for a time. It raised doubts at a time when that vaccine was really being looked at as a way of winning over holdouts. Rather than getting two doses from Pfizer and Moderna, go get this single shot from J&J, &J, and the messaging around it just changed dramatically. So I think that's one issue. A second is CDC's own guidance on the masking recommendation. One thought at the time in mid-May was CDC telling vaccinated people, look, you can have these privileges back. You don't need to wear masks. That maybe that would motivate unvaccinated Americans to go get shots too. But it does appear that lots of Americans took that message not as, oh, I need to get vaccinated, but more, wow, we have reached a point in the pandemic where maybe things aren't as severe. So there also continues to be a decline in shots after that point. I just want to ask about sort of the thinking behind this. It seems obvious to a lay person like me that telling everybody that vaccinated people can take off their masks but we're not going to check in almost any circumstances whether or not you're actually vaccinated, that that would welcome people to who are unvaccinated to go about their lives without their masks. So why was that not something that these officials at the CDC and elsewhere foresaw when they were considering whether or not to tell vaccinated Americans that they could remove their masks? It seems so foreseeable. It's an excellent question, a totally practical problem. And you could argue that the scientists at the CDC focused on the data and the science missed out on the practicalities and the politics of the implications of their decision. Earlier, I mentioned that this White House is trying to do the opposite of the last one, be hands off with the CDC. I think that's well-intentioned, but here you have an example of maybe why you want to have more coordination. If the CDC is making these sweeping decisions and the White House is just as surprised as the rest of us, it makes it that much harder to get the right message to Americans. Your, your question is so good. I mean, this is the exact nub of the problem where the Trump administration was dinged again and again and again for meddling. And I know that because I wrote a lot of the stories about the political interference. <laughs> like, I, I saw some of those problems firsthand, but that doesn't mean that public health officials should have a completely free hand to make really big decisions. You need to be able to coordinate around things that will affect the body politic. If it was up to the CDC, the science might not suggest that we need masks yet. 
But if it was up to political leaders, I think they'd want to take a harder tone at this point, though they are worried, and this gets to like the other big factor, they are worried about misinformation, about the perception of government overreach and strengthening this resistance to getting vaccinated. On the point of misinformation, Biden has tried to combat some of that. This week, he put some pressure on big tech, saying that social media giants are killing people by hosting misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccines on their platforms. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, they really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that, and, they're, and they're killing people. But beyond public pressure like that, is the administration taking any steps to combat this spread of misinformation? I thought it was really interesting that the Biden administration had been in talks with Fox News. Fox News has been a purveyor of anti-vaccine rhetoric. There have been primetime hosts who have had segments raising questions about the vaccines. But there are a lot of those people giving you medical advice on television, and you should ignore them. The advice they're giving you isn't designed to help, it's designed to make you comply. And you shouldn't comply mindlessly. You're an American adult. You are allowed to ask simple questions and then demand clear answers. That's why we live here. That's your birthright. For example, schools there have across the been country. politicians who have appeared on Fox News or on other conservative platforms who have turned this every week, every month that has passed into less of a public health push and more of a way to go after the Biden administration. I do think that's very different than where we were six months ago or even three or four months ago. When this new White House was taking over, the vaccine push wasn't necessarily seen as a political issue. But now that it has become a key part of Biden's platform, there are plenty of Republicans, especially those who are close to the Donald Trump movement, who are turning on Biden and framing what state, local, and federal health officials are doing as something that it is not. They're, they're framing the vaccine push as federal officials going door to door, and in some cases, conservatives are claiming they're forcing people to get vaccinated. And, and now they're starting to talk about going door to door to be able to take vaccines to the people. It, the think about the mechanisms they would have to build to be able to actually execute that massive of a thing. And then think about the, what those mechanisms could be used for. They could then go door to door, take your guns. They again go door to door, take your Bibles. Yeah. And so it's a it's couldn't be farther from the truth. I have shadowed some of those efforts several months ago. These are often volunteers doing exactly what they might do with, say, get out the vote or some other emergency situation. They're just trying to share information and tell people where they can go if they want to get vaccinated. So aside from going door to door, what else can the Biden administration do here, whether it's fighting disinformation, getting people to take the vaccines or, you know, just keeping the Delta variant at bay? What's left to do? I think some of what will happen is more use of the bully pulpit to try and warn people to take better protective steps. And whether it's masking or something like resuming social distancing, if cases are high in a community, people are tired of this pandemic. I know Americans don't want to go back to that. And Biden and his deputies know that too. So they're going to use those sorts of messages very, very carefully. But the fear is if we don't do this now, we will get to a point where kids are going back to school, we're in the fall, when flu may be circulating again. Things will only get harder if we can't do more to contain the variant now. There also have been surge response teams that are deploying around the country coordinated by the federal government, 
Not so many yet, but there's a team on the ground in Nevada, for instance, where if cases are rising quickly, maybe a little bit more federal support in terms of organizing the response, putting ads on TV. I chose to get the vaccine because being a family practice physician, I saw a lot of patients who got really sick with COVID. So getting the vaccine and being safe and being able to not give it to my family members is, is very important to me. I chose to get vaccinated based on wanting to protect my community, my patients, and my family. I think we all want Efforts to, to get people in a hot spot better protected, that's something that the Biden administration might do as well. There's one other component I wanted to highlight. It's gone under the radar. The Biden administration has pursued other ways of trying to tackle the medical challenge here. Specifically, they've invested a lot in therapeutics. So if people get sick with COVID, there will be better and better ways of caring for them, of preventing the disease from blossoming into a real threat. So today, the Biden administration announced their investment of $3.2 billion from the American Rescue Plan as part of the COVID-19 antiviral development strategy. It's a whole of government effort aimed at developing the next generation of COVID-19 treatments, as well as preparing us for future threats. The program is called the Antiviral Program for Pandemics, and it aims to- We may end up seeing more of an impact from that if cases continue to surge, but the severity of those cases hopefully would be less because we have better tools to treat them this year than last year. It's not just changes to masking guidance and vaccine uptake that are posing challenges for the Biden administration. They've also promised a swift economic recovery. Those rosy projections have faced some pushback in the past few weeks, and economists worry that the Delta variant and its spread abroad might exacerbate inflation and cause other problems for the U.S. economy. How exactly? Well, for a better understanding of how the Delta variant threatens the U.S. economy, I turn to someone who's been covering this very topic. I'm Heather Long, the economics correspondent at The Washington Post. I asked Heather how the economic recovery had been going in this country until this recent uptick in cases. This is one of the strongest years for the economy that many people will experience in their lifetimes. Obviously, there's still a lot of pain and struggle. You know, we got close to uh, 10 million Americans who are still unemployed and trying to get back into a job at some point this summer and, or later this year. And there's obviously a lot of reopening pains going on. Everyone's seen the signs in different store restaurant windows that say we're closed today or we're not serving lunch today because we don't have enough people or we ran out of stock. But in terms of growth and kind of the overall mood that we're seeing in the economy, it's, it's certainly been very positive. And a lot of that has been backed by this huge amount of federal government spending that's come out with those stimulus checks and the unemployment payments and the rental assistance and small business assistance and more. So how has the White House talked about the recovery then? What's their message been? Their message has definitely been to beat the drum that things are going a lot better and that they played a major part in the recovery, both in terms of getting that aid money out the door, particularly that third stimulus package that passed in March with only Democratic votes, and also of the even bigger factor, perhaps, for the economic recovery has been getting the health crisis more under control, so getting the vaccinations as available as, as possible in the United States and getting over that initial threshold of 
about 50% of, of all adult Americans and, and even higher numbers for older Americans. And yet, even with that progress, all of this economic recovery is threatened to be upended right now as the rapidly spreading Delta variant continues to, to spread in the U.S. What are some of the tangible ways that the Delta variant has affected the U.S. economy? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think initially you saw the stock market tank when, as the Delta variant was becoming more widely known in the U.S., but there's been a reversal in the markets and reversal in the thinking. And, and part of the reason is really nobody expects the great shutdown to return. So nobody expects these scenarios like what we saw early in the COVID crisis, where not only are people being told to stay home, but people didn't want to venture out, even in states like a Florida that were still pretty open. People just weren't going out to restaurants for much of last summer as they were very nervous and rightfully so about the health situation. I think this time around, we just don't see that. I'm currently sitting in New York City, and even though the Delta variant is certainly present here, people are still out and about. The restaurants are full. We've even seen some theaters reopen. I was just at Shakespeare in the Park in Central Park, and that was pretty much packed. So there's definitely this belief that even in parts of the country that have been very vigilant about COVID, that you're just not going to see people totally stop their lives in the way that they did in 2020. And so we expect, in that sense, we expect economic growth to continue and a lot of spending to continue. I think the easiest way to say it is when you call economists right now and say, has the Delta variant caused you to lower your growth forecast? They say, yeah, from like 7.4% to 7. So yeah, okay, there's been a little bit of impact, but this hasn't dramatically changed the picture of what people think is going to play out in the next few months. I think the big question mark, the reason you saw some Wall Street jitters is the international side of the equation. And normally in economics, we don't care about the international side as much, not because we're mean, but because the U.S. is mostly a domestic-driven economy by consumer consumption. But the big wild card going on right now is that we have all these supply chain hiccups. You know, stuff is literally not getting on ships and coming to the United States right now in, in a fast enough process. We don't have enough of these microchips that go on everything. We don't have enough cars. We don't have enough washing machines and dishwashers. Or you, you tick through the list. And there's just these massive backlogs of people waiting months to, to get their various items that they ordered. And that, that's where the Delta variant could continue to play havoc on the economy. Because it's spreading so rapidly in other countries that they're unable to ship these items to us. Yeah. And you can already see it. One of the major ports outside Shanghai actually had an outbreak just a few days ago. And basically, they shut down the port for a while, one of the, you know, one of the largest ports in the world. And it literally, there's just ships kind of bouncing around uh, up this port that are not getting loaded up. And again, obviously, keeping those workers safe is the most important and right thing to do. But what does that mean? It has ripple effects across the world on the global economy. And what about inflation? Americans are paying more for everything from lumber to gas to eating out. Why are we seeing this, this inflation now? It's kind of economics 101. Basically, there's been this huge pent-up demand. And obviously, people have been waiting to go on trips and travel and go to restaurants and buy things for months, over a year in many cases. And now they're getting a chance to do that. So there's just a lot more demand than even we would normally see in a typical summer. And at the same time, there's a lot less supply. 
and there's these hiccups in the supply chains. There's also been in the agricultural sectors, you know, heavy flooding or droughts in different parts of the world. So that's causing various meat and milk prices to be higher than normal. So you sort of just look around at pretty much every item that's for sale right now, and, and you see a lot of demand and not a lot of supply, which drives up the price as the economy reopens. And what can the Delta variant do? This is where you would expect that it could make it worse, at least for a few months, while there's still a lot of health concerns, particularly in parts of the world that haven't done as good of a job vaccinating or that don't have very good vaccines, like in the case of the Chinese vaccine. So the Biden administration, which was touting this very successful recovery, is now faced with, as we've just described, some challenges on potentially on Wall Street, some supply chain issues, inflation. Which of these things is most concerning for the Biden administration? They're definitely all concerning, and there's not a whole lot that they can do about it, which is even more difficult position to be in. But the number one concern that we're hearing from the White House is on the inflation side, particularly things like gas prices. They're up a dollar from a year ago. And it's not like the White House policies really had a huge amount of impact on that. But at the same time, people are, are blaming the Biden administration. It, this costs them more to fill up their car, and it's something that's very visible. But the deep, deep concern is one that we've started writing about at the Washington Post, and that is this stuff that won't be temporary. Although if you listen to the White House, listen to President Biden, or you listen to these other top policymakers like Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, they keep saying, it's okay, it's okay, yes, it's bad this summer, you know, this is the summer of inflation, but then it's going to fall. Then it's going to get back to normal, sort of by, by the end of the year, early next year, it's going to be okay. Just hold on. It's going to be okay. And that all sounds good, except what we're starting to see is a rise in things like rent prices. And anyone who signed a rent contract for an apartment or a house knows that you know, if your rent goes up $200 a month, next summer they usually don't bring it back down. And it starts this spiral where people expect these prices are going to keep going up. So they turn around and they say, okay, I want to be paid more. You know, how am I supposed to afford $200 rent increase? I need to get more money from my employer. So then the employers raise the wages, which is nice for a few months, but then the prices go up again. And it sort of starts this upward cycle of raise the wages, raise the prices, raise the wages, raise the prices. And historically, that's been a very dangerous path to be on for the economy. So how has President Biden attempted to appease these fears of economic meltdown? So far, he said it's, it's all going to be okay. And he had this line in his conference, press conference this week, where he said basically that this was expected, which I thought was a new one. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. He said, you can't flip the global economic light switch back on and not expect this to happen, this being inflation. As demand, demand returns, returns, there's going, going to be global, global supply chain challenges. We've seen that in semiconductors, which are used in automobiles. That and he tried to say that it's okay and we have the tools in our economic toolbox to fix this. As I made clear to Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve when we met recently, the Fed is independent, should take whatever steps it deems necessary to support a strong, durable economic recovery. 
And what he oh, needs is the Federal Reserve could step in and basically tap the brakes on the economy, raise those interest rates. But here's the catch. You can raise the interest rates. That's the historical action to take when there's inflation. But that usually stops people from going out and buying things. So that you know pulls back a little bit. You know, maybe I'm not going to go to as many restaurants this month. Maybe we're going to put off that travel vacation to Disney World or the beach until next year or later in the year when it might be cheaper. But the thing the Federal Reserve nor the White House can really do much about is the supply chain issues. They can dampen down the demand side, but they cannot single-handedly fix these supply chain issues. That's why there's ongoing unease and a lot of worry that we may not have this inflation problem under control. So what's the outlook from here? What can we expect from the Biden administration as we head into the next few months? Obviously, the main thing they can do, and you can see President Biden trying to say this every time he speaks, is to just encourage more and more people, at least in the United States, to be vaccinated. That's the number one thing they can do to help the economy and obviously help the health situation in the United States is to keep people uh, safe and comfortable enough to keep going out and spend and work and do all these things that help keep us on track. You do see them doing a little bit around the edges, for instance, at various ports. They're trying to make it easier to expedite the various approval processes you need. They've certainly been on the phone with various countries like Taiwan that are major suppliers of microchips, trying to encourage them to make sure their factories are running at full capacity to get the stuff to the United States as quickly as possible. There's obviously been some various proposals, both executive orders and some uh, bills in Congress that are trying to bring production back home. But all of this just takes time. You know, you don't set up a microchip factory, even if you could set it up in Georgia or Nevada, it's not going to happen overnight. And so that's sort of the ongoing issue here is it could be better in 2022, but 2022 still feels a long way away. All right, Heather, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Allison. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Thanks so much for listening. As always, please tell a friend, share it. It helps us a lot. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Sharla Freeland and Arjun Singh with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Maldon. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.